Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Let's do it. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. On the other end of this camera with that cultural at the behind her there uh, is Lauren Roseno Maldonado. And this is her book called Becoming the Change. I told her I love the, col- the colorful cover uh, with the woman. And she is joining us from South Florida. Good day to you, Lauren. How are you doing? I'm fantabulous. Good day to you, Greg. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, thank you for taking the time to impart some wisdom and knowledge about something that's uh, occurring everywhere, but it's the power of cultural intelligence. Most people look at emotional intelligence. They understand what that is, but we're going to inform them about cultural intelligence today so they can become a little more culturally aware of what's going on in their organizations and what might be happening with relation to even the way people work together from different cultures would be an interesting way to kind of frame this up. But I'm going to let our listeners know a tad bit about you. You can all go to culturaglobal.com to learn more about Lauren and her company. Uh, We will have a link to that in the blog. But Lauren is a business-oriented leader uh, with a proven track record of building high-performance, fast-growing global organizations. She's been instrumental in transforming businesses of all sizes by driving financial performance, improving organizational effectiveness, and boosting innovation through people development and engagement programs. She's always been fascinated by the human experience and how it shapes behavior from her years of experience leading people teams from the ground up, and she understands how to empower employees to grow while delivering transparent and people-centric programs. Um, She holds a master's degree of science in industrial and organizational psychology and is currently pursuing her PhD in cross-cultural psychology from the California Southern University. She holds a professional certificate of coach, a PCC designation, uh, through the Go Active Coaching Network. And she's a board member of the Girls, Inc. of Greater Miami and a member of numerous and other civic organizations. Well, it's a pleasure having you on the show. I truncated that bio a bit, but for everybody, just go to the website if you want to learn more about uh, her company, and we'll put a link to that. Um so, you know, let's start this out. We were talking about David Livenor before we actually started the the show. And he wrote uh, in the foreword to your bat, uh, book that he spent 25 years researching, writing, and teaching cultural intelligence. Many of my listeners out, out there maybe have never heard of this term, cultural intelligence. And he said that he needed someone like you and your book to help him see what culture intelligence, cultural intelligence looks like in the real world from your lived experience and the academically rigorous research you've done. Talk to our listeners about what cultural intelligence is 
and why David Livermore was such an influence on you. Sure. Um, cultural intelligence is really, uh, you know, the academic definition is the, a framework that helps you uh, relate, understand, and adapt to uh, to diverse situations in diverse contexts. Um, for me, cultural intelligence is about learning how to relate and and work effectively with people who are different from me. Uh, culture has somewhat of a um, misguided a identification or perception, which is, is, you know, that it's about ethnicity and, um, and national origin, but it's more than that. It's basically referring to a group who does things in a certain way. And that could mean a difference in functional area as much as it can mean, you know, being uh, an Android lover or an Apple, you know, an iPhone, an iOS lover, right? So culture comes in so many different ways and, and forms. And David Livermore's work made such a profound impact on me because at the time when I came across his work, I was a head of HR for this global organization. And so these were um, nuances that, like your listeners to your point were foreign to me yet played a major role in how I was leading individuals from all over the world and the more i i looked into david livermore's work the more i could relate and the more it resonated with me um mm -hmm. and so it really sparked uh, a lifelong mission for me to not only learn about this but also educate others uh, and how to use cultural intelligence to navigate not only relationships at work, but at home as well. Well, it, your book does that, you know, quite effectively. And, you know, one of the things I said to you before coming on the podcast was, you know, your Dominican upbringing, right? And coming from the Dominican Republican and the kind of people that the Dominicans are, including yourself, right? You can't deny your cultural background. You can't say, well, I'm not a Mexican when you're Mexican. You can't say, well, I, I'm i not a Muslim when you're a Muslim. You know, you, you have these traits. And, and you were really influenced by your family and you used the word or the acronym CHOICE um, that you could make to become the change. Uh, how is it that the influence was so wonderful to you, yet you wanted people to learn about not only just how people from the Dominican Republic worked, but also the rest of the world. That's a great question because, you know, part of making a choice, the H-O-I-C-E, is understanding your background and your heritage. And you're right, I am Dominican, but I never really felt Dominican. Right. My upbringing was a dichotomous one because I had this this Dominican, these Dominican roots. My parents are both Dominican immigrants, yet I was raised in very, you know, Anglo um, influenced environments. And so I had this dichotomous view of the world. And I think I was influenced by that in such a way that helped make me uh, be highly curious as I interacted with different cultures. So even though I wasn't necessarily aware of 
uh, are the differences in a way that I could articulate them, I was aware intuitively that something was different. Mm-hmm. And even myself within with my own family, I talk about this in the book where I am highly individualistic and I value my privacy very, very much. But my my mom, my you know, my grandmother, my parents could never understand that. Right. And so yeah, I remember I, you, would... I remember you talking about your father never being on time, which just bothered <laughs> the <time>. crap, <laughs> bothered the crap out of you. He'd always be 15 minutes late and he'd act like, oh, well, it didn't really make any difference, you know. And again, that's part of the culture. Right. I could say the same thing about Hispanic people. We joke here in Southern California. It's like, well, simpre manana, you know, it's just uh, we'll, we'll we'll do it tomorrow. But that exactly. is that doesn't work when you're working for companies that expect timeliness, uh, you know. Uh, so these are these are just little jokes I'm making, but they're very real, right? They're very real. And you mentioned, you know, another key point. I'm talking about privacy, but time orientation, the way we view time, is so different. Never talked about. But it can impact everything from my view of a, of a person who whose value of time is very, you know, what's called polychronic, right? They view time as a as a um, this nuanced thing that you can kind of play around with over right. time. Whereas I am, you know, monochronic and see that see time uh, in a linear fashion to your point. And so well, you are a dr- I may think, you know, I used to think HR. <laughs> Yeah, and I used to think my dad was always late, and he's thinking, "What do you mean? I'm I'm on time, right?" And imagine this in the workplace. <laughs> well, you know, you say that my my wife was a school teacher, and this is really this is funny. Yet, you know, the people would invite the families would invite her to a birthday party for one of the kids in her classroom, and they would say it was going to be at one o'clock, and so she was a very prompt person. She's a teacher; she had to run, you know be there on time, whatever. She'd show up at one o'clock and nothing was put together. There was no cake out. There was nothing set. There was whatever. It's like, well, you said one o'clock in the invitation. So now she knew just to come at two o'clock because nothing was going to happen at one o'clock anyway. Yes. Yes. And there's, you know, there's a joke that sometimes uh, people actually push, push back the time to accommodate for those that will start Mm -hmm. late. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and it just happened the other day. I was with my father. I spent some time with him before I had another meeting. And three hours before the meeting, I start saying goodbye for the same reason, right? <laughs> and, Give you enough time. <laughs> yes. No, 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 wait for me. I'll take you. Okay. But remember, it's at five. It was like two o'clock at the time. And between conversations, you know, and getting into different stories, stuff. Of course, he drove me late. I got to the event late. So I had to message the person, you know, and, and, and my, my <laughs> you know, time senses are like breaking out. And he's like, oh, I'm so worried. <laughs> you know? so, I, I get it. Understanding how time is viewed around the world helped me not have a panic attack when I spent this time with my dad a couple months ago, you know. Well, you know, you, um, Lauren, you speak about areas where cultural value mismatch and 
They complicate matters and can escalate the potential for conflict. This is a great example of that, what we're just talking about. We're using maybe a silly example, folks, but the reality, there's many of these examples. This is the one. Could you um, please mention some of those areas where you see mismatches and the opportunities for what could be conflicts? There's one right there. There's one, and I highlight one in the book, right? Uh, there was a situation where, you know, I'm an individualistic, highly competitive, and, and a high achiever, okay? I didn't understand how that is, you know, that that cultural preference is tied to um, individualistic societies like the U.S. Well, I'm always pushing for, for growth and, and helping others develop and grow and achieve and achieve and achieve and achieve. And there was this one employee that I, you know, was was working with that I would push and push for all these accolades and all these things, not understanding that her preference for achievement was viewed in a more collaborative and cooperative way, right? And so that cultural um, value mismatch caused me to view her as someone who did not necessarily want to achieve whereas she viewed achievement you know as a way through the lens of cooperation and working with the rest of the team and making sure that the team achieved our goals not necessarily her own personal goals and so that's an example of many many different um, situations that can be exacerbated if you don't understand these cultural value uh, differences and how they influence you, the way that you prefer to, to work and approach your goals. Well, I think one of the things you did really quite well is you just said you have stories in there of several people and they show the difference uh, in the cultural values. If you would pick one of those stories and why the exercise of reflections on various facets of our uh, to it to identify can influence how we relate to one another, right? Sure. So you know you you had a lot of stories in there, <laughs> no doubt, uh, and I think those stories help to exemplify the differences. And I think the listeners would probably get a kick out of one of those stories that you could tell that would exemplify the differences. Yeah, I would say my favorite story of the entire um, set would be Sam. Because here is Sam, who is neurodivergent and has his own set of, you know, cultural values. He values time in a certain way. He needs to be structured in order to perform at his best. But his manager, you know, did not necessarily understand his his way of viewing time because he's not neurotypical, for lack of a of a better word. And so Sam really gained the courage to articulate that with his boss in a way that is not customary of someone who shares his his level of diversity. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about Sam is that here is society saying that Sam is not supposed to um, or typically um, demonstrate this level of courage. But he himself knew that he needed 
to have a certain structure in order to perform. And so he summoned the courage to talk about that. That for me is the embodiment of not just cultural intelligence, but making a choice, right? And in turn, his it prompted his manager to understand a different perspective from Sam's lens and from his lived experience. And isn't that what we want to see more of in the workplace? That independent of what exists around us, we can summon the courage to to voice what it is that we need and help others understand what we require in order to be and perform at our best. I think transparency, no matter what, is an important element. Um, and it's it's very important to let people know how you work, how you identify with work. And you you spoke in the book about Daniel Goleman, and everybody here knows Daniel Goleman's work around emotional intelligence, EQ, social intelligence. Um, and there's actually one that I've just recently came across in another book I did an interview, spiritual intelligence. So they've, they've used spiritual intelligence, emotional intelligence, social intelligence, and now you've got CQ, cultural intelligence. Why, in your estimation, obviously you've written this book because you want to see change. Uh, that's the, the main reason, is knowing what the culture is so that we can change that workplace environment. Why is it so important? It's important because... You know, we talk a lot about how we spend the majority of our time at work. 113,880 and... 113, hours we'll spend at work. Um, we should with have law... that plastered and like embedded <laughs> in, in the wall somewhere that's visible all the time. 13 years is what it is. And I, I was doing an interview earlier this morning, which is why the guy used it in his book. Uh, we're seeing about seven, and now it's about $8.4 trillion in lost engagement. $8.4 trillion a year because people aren't engaging. It's a mismatch. There's no fit, right? I mean, you are an HR director. You get this very much. But now, oh, you, yes. bring, but now you bring the culture into it and you can see like, hey, we got, we've all talked about the great resignation here and COVID and what occurred and the movement of people between jobs because they're unhappy. Well, now you add cultural intelligence on top of this and it just makes it more of a challenge for people to try and manage, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It can be a challenge, but it can also be a tool. It's definitely not a magic wand, but it's a good, it's a good tool to have in your toolkit. And a lot of these differences, a lot of disengagement from, comes from the lack of understanding. Mm -hmm. And because we are so focused on deliverables, we forget that it's through people that we achieve success in business. Right. right. And when it comes to engagement, you know, if you have a, a workforce of many different diverse perspectives, your first priority is to understand those perspectives so that you can build a, a workplace that where all those different perspectives can coexist, right? One of the biggest um, things I harp on is that we are all multidimensional. And, and a lot of the people I interviewed reflect that, like Sam, right? We are, there's more to than what you see. 
there's way more than what you see. And working effectively in diverse cultures is about that, is about understanding all these differences and how they play out in the workplace so that we can create an environment where everyone can contribute effectively while still um, navigating it and having the resources to navigate those differences. Well, speak to the listeners about how they form their cultural preferences and prompts uh, you used to help a reader in this book better understand our cultural preference. In other words, I think people say, okay, there's a cultural difference, but there's a cultural preference. I I might rather work with X culture than I would Y culture because I know I can get more done, uh, Mm -hmm. right? So we're actually being biased because we've actually put a label on a culture. Mm -hmm. How do we get rid of those labels and how do we uh, better understand how we're doing that because you know we maybe subconsciously don't know we're doing it but we are doing it (laughs) right no great great point and one thing to understand about bias is that it's not something you get rid of it is there because it was built time over time right our biases are there to you know to, in essence, as human beings and biologically to protect us from harm. Where we, where they can become harmful is what we do with those biases. Right. We use them for, you know, for, for with bad intentions. Well, and I think so we, use them, to... we use them, Lauren, for, and we don't really realize it, but I'm going to use the word alienation. In mm-hmm. one sense, we alienate others from us as a result of our preferences. Right. And because we have these cultural preferences, to answer your question, they are shaped based on our lived experiences. You don't necessarily have to be poor in a foreign um, country or in a different region to necessarily inherit these preferences, right? Because they're influenced by our generational um, influences. They're passed on generation to generation, even if you never left a particular country. And so these preferences are shaped um, through those social interactions. And so they, they are a part of us. And understanding those preferences helps us then gain perspective into understanding others. And once you understand them and how they impact the way that you relate, the way you work, the way you interact with others, then helps you navigate those nuances and why uh, cultural intelligence complements emotional intelligence. Well, you you had mentioned in the book, Lauren, that we all carry a cultural blueprint wherever we go. Mm-hmm. I like the term blueprint because it's like, look, it's 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 who we are. That's kind of that's it. Um, and there are particular influences or in their influence y'all they they influence um the workplaces how do the cultural differences play out in the workplace and i was reading in the book mainly like communications decision making these kind of areas because now we're talking about the big thing cultural intelligence and we're saying we have a blueprint of it 
And then we're now we're getting down to how this plays out. You know, how does it actually play out? Mm -hmm. Let's say communication, for example, it's something we do all day, every day, right? We know uh, when you're looking at the cultural values that influence communication, let's take high and low context, right? Context uh, involves people or cultures that prefer to leave uh, the meaning behind the communication to the interpreter's, um, you know, perception, right? So you, they'll they'll use less uh, less words and leave more that's open to interpretation. Those who value uh, low context will be very explicit in their communication and and uh, uh, more direct, right, in their communication. Well. Does this mean that we view someone who speaks uh, indirectly and implicitly as someone who's less effective in communicating? If we value um, low context communication, this, this one nuance can impact communication in so many ways in the workplace because all of a sudden you're forming a perspective and a perception of someone whose communication style is different. And because it's misunderstood or, or because it's not well established or well known, then you can, you can, you know, take away a different meaning behind that exchange. And that's one little example of how, you know, these cultural values can impact so many of our daily interactions. Uh, from the way we build trust, from the way we manage performance. Does this mean that I, you know, will rate this person's communication performance any differently than someone who communicates in the same way that I do? Um, well, considering you were an HR director for a global company, I, I have a question for you because I've had this happen now twice in two days. You know, we look at we don't think about cultural intelligence, but when we get on the phone for customer service and we can't understand the person on the other end and we own a global company and they're basically just speaking over you, right? They're mm -hmm. just like it's a script. Mm -hmm. It really does a lot to deter somebody from wanting to do business with that company if they're and I'm going to say language difference, but it's not only language. It's literally how they relate to people as well on the phone, right? And having an emotional intelligence, like I, I think the people, honestly, that are working in many of the call centers are emotionally intelligent devoid. They, they don't have it. I don't know what it is, but in many of the companies, and I will not say that about Apple. I will say mm -hmm. Apple has the best customer service and, and literally I think that's why Apple stays at the peak I'll say another company Jabra does a wonderful mm -hmm. job at customer service they bend over backwards right mm -hmm. but uh, many of these companies are trying to cut you know their budgets and they're using people that don't relate to people that are buying their product mm -hmm. right <laughs> it's like okay really <laughs> I know that's an off the wall question but it's really not it's it's a it's a cultural thing. 
<laughs> well, it's making sure that your, you know, your workforce has the skills they need in order to work and relate effectively with the audience they serve. And service is no different. Right. right. Um, to your point, that's a perfect example of not only emotional intelligence, but understanding the cultural nuances behind the audience that you're serving. And so when you are developing those skills in your employees, helping them become attuned to that, right? That when you, you know, if you are, let's say, that polychronic, uh, high context communicator, a very indirect communicator, that you have the preference to speak over others when you are speaking, understand that these are skills that you can adjust when you're speaking to a culture or an audience that does not have that cultural preference as their dominant preference. And so it's a skill that they may not bring with them, but they can certainly learn with development over time. It is a skill that can be developed. Uh, it can be learned. You know, people say that people aren't natural born salesmen, but they can learn to be salespeople, right? And and you stated in the book that the world is more connected than ever, making cultural intelligence and cultural humility essential. I like that term, uh, cultural humility. Can you speak with us about the choice playbook, which we had a few questions back, and how this can help us solve our differences. Because your acronym so, CHOICE stands for C-H-O-I-C-E, has, it's an acronym. So. Yes, it's an acronym. And so it's, you know, it's courage. Uh, it's humility for cultural humility. It's openness to new experiences, but integrating those, the knowledge into your, your taking action, right? Taking action. Um, the curiosity behind all these differences. And last but certainly not least is empathy. It's that big E word that everyone, particularly when it comes to engagement, loves to pitch, but not necessarily understand how to cultivate that. And so the choice play work came about after you know long and extensive research on how we can create uh, situations, what I call moments that matter, whether at home or at work, that help us, you know, connect better. And what I like about humility, for example, is that it calls for that critical self-evaluation, that, that ability to stop and take perspective on how we do this. To your point, that customer service person that's on the phone doesn't necessarily have to wait for the organization to, to, to help them develop these skills or the, the client on the opposite end. They don't have to wait for someone to help them understand why this person speaks over them. Um, that there is a, a cultural definition behind this and how we can all learn to build that bridge through understanding. So the choice was uh, a playwork that, that was developed to help people understand how. We understand what. We understand that we need to connect better. We understand that we you know, need to collaborate better. We understand that we all want to be engaged, but how do we do that? And so that's what the Choice Playbook helps people do. Yeah, and I just want to tell my listeners, this book has the Choice Playbook in it. Um, and it, 
it, it, I love the acronym, and I'd like for you to repeat for the listeners the main uh, for each one of the letters again, because sometimes in sets of three, that's what you remember. So let's do for number two here. So just go through them one more time. Of course. It's uh, the first C for courage. Okay. H for humility, cultural humility. Mm -hmm. I for integration. What about O? I'm sorry. O for openness, <laughs> open to new experiences, right? I stopped that story. I for integrating what you learn through those experiences. The second C for curiosity, remaining curious at all times. And, and last, but an empathy. Yeah. You know, if we just took those words and strung them together and we attempted to build all of our relations around those, you know, Lauren, the world would be a better place. Um, and especially the last one with empathy. And it, it's so challenging sometimes to reach the empathy when there's such a big um, gap in understanding, yeah. right? And I think to bring that understanding, one of the things that you have to do, and there wasn't an L in there, is we've got to listen. Mm. Um, and that's a big one. So with that, in kind of wrapping this up, what I'd like to ask you is to leave our listeners with three actionable bits of advice that they could use both personally and professionally within their organization to help better help them better understand the differences amongst between themselves and others and how to better understand the CQ or cultural intelligence. And what would your advice be to them to enact? In other words, an action kind of situation here. What can I do to be the change? You said, let's be the change. Well, if we're going to be the change, um, I think Magat Gandhi, it was like, if I be the change that I want to be, I actually have to act it. 100,000%. And I would leave you with this. First, understand that our cultural values impact everything, every area of our lives. To understand that we are all, no matter what we're from, multi-dimensional. And what does that mean? We have many different dimensions behind our identity. And third, nothing happens if you don't take action. Understand your cultural value preferences and how they impact you, not only as a leader, but as a person navigating the world. Great bits of advice. One last quick question for you. You know, years ago, I used to go to conferences in San Francisco, uh, spirituality in the workplace. And they would always find companies like Patagonia there, Cliff Bars, people like that who literally, okay, call us here in California a little freaky. Sometimes we are. Uh, but the reality is, I, I wouldn't say that all HR directors were like, hey, let's uh, beat a drum and kumbaya. But they did understand that spirituality in the workplace was a huge factor. If I couldn't bring my spirit to work, yeah. I mean, I can't bring myself, right? What mm -hmm. would be your position around, I'm just going to be this, the final question, because I kind of threw this one at you, which the cultural intelligence and the spiritual intelligence that need to blend together to make the workplace a better place 
for us to work and and be. Right. No, that's a great question. Anything that helps enhance the employee experience is something to be mindful of and, and certainly learn more from. And honestly, this is the first time I hear of spiritual intelligence. So I'm, I'm very keen on learning more. I would say, you know, spirituality oftentimes is misconstrued with religion, which is right. why it's uh, it's something that employers may want to kind of steer away from. But I would say that anything that enhances a person's lived experience, whether at home or at work, is certainly a great tool to have in your in your inbox. And I would concur with you on that. And I would say, when you're done, look up the word spiritual intelligence. You find I will. there's been a lot written about it. But I, I also would say when a company is seeking to improve performance, improve engagement, increase profitability, increase innovation, um, all of these things that they want from, you know, okay, the balance sheet is our biggest expense is salaries for employees, right? Why wouldn't we invest? And I'm going to say to my listeners in the end, go to her website, which we're going to give up and we'll have a link to it. But it is, I have to bring it up, is cultural, C-U-L-T-U-R-A dot global. Um, and go there because you would want to engage somebody like Lauren to help you look at the culture and work with cultural intelligence. And as she said in her bio, greater levels of organizational effectiveness, greater levels of innovation, greater levels of engagement. And if these are the things that you're lacking, go to Lauren's website and check it out and look at all the resources and things that are there and get a copy of the book. Lauren, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth to speak with all the managers, CEOs, and people that are running these companies. And I know they get the message. The question is, are they going to take action about it? And so I'm encouraging them to take some action because this is something that next year in 2024 can make your company a better company. Go work with Lauren. Go get a copy of this book and check it out. Lauren, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you for having me and, and uh, letting me share this story. Thank you very much. You're quite welcome. Have a good holiday season. You too. Many blessings. Blessings. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.